0: ora from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoetoe, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service, and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. Welcome to church, everybody. Uh, as Ulu said, my name is Rowena, and it's my honour to speak with us this morning. Uh, we are actually uh, visiting again our Manifest series, and we'll be doing that throughout the year. Uh, And this is a series that we, you know, the theme of the series is one that we want to make really familiar to our church family. Uh, We introduced it last year, uh, and we're going to revisit it for this week and next week. Uh, It's really important to us as church leadership, because it's all about uh, God's presence and how it manifests in our lives uh, and also the amazing vision that God has given us for every nation side for us, his church, his people, and the generations to come. And so, like I said before, we'll be putting this um, series and this vision in front of our church throughout the year so that we want everyone to get really familiar with it so that we know where we're going as a church and so that we can all play our part, uh, I remember growing up, I always heard this quote around my house, I think we all blame each other, my family, we all blame each other uh, for who made it up, but I don't know who came up with it, but I remember hearing there's three kinds of people in the world. The first is a person who wakes up in the morning and makes things happen. Second is a person who wakes up in the morning and watches things happen. And the third person is someone who wakes up and says, what happened? Now, if you're here for this series last year, uh, you'll know that this series is about Ezekiel 47. And I just want to start off with a background, or a bit of background about how, uh, what was happening in the world when this scripture was written down. And so Ezekiel, he's one of the prophets Of Israel, And he didn't live in the promised land. You know, we know all the story of when the Israelites uh, were taken into the promised land and were living in the land of milk and honey that God had promised them. And it would have been awesome if the story kind of stayed there. But as some of us will be familiar, uh, Israel didn't always stay faithful to God. And so over and over again, they disobeyed. They turned to other gods. They rebelled, turned their backs on the Lord. And so this was written during a time where the people of Israel had turned their backs on God once again, and enemies had come in, attacked the land, destroyed the city, and taken whoever survived back and to live with them as captives in their foreign land. And so uh, Ezekiel was alive during one of these times uh, in Babylon. He was in exile in Babylon, which was a very, very faraway land that was very, very not Christian, not a a land that loved God, Uh, and Israel lay in ruins. The temple had been destroyed, and it was a time of hopelessness and despair. And it seemed like God had left the people of Israel and had forgotten about them, and the game was over, they were going to die there in captivity. And so Ezekiel, whilst living in Babylon, was given a, a number of visions during this time, that God had given him. And God wanted to um, wanted Israel to uh, relay these visions to the people of Israel. Because even though they were in a hopeless situation and there was no way to escape, God wanted them to wake up and get ready. Uh, because he was getting ready to do something amazing in their midst. Now, church, Ulu and I, And our church leadership and our elders and our staff team, we all believe that we are today living in such a time in that, you know, although there is hopelessness around us, sometimes um, there are different situations around us that might make us feel the same way that the Israelites felt back there in Babylon. I feel like we're in such a time that God is getting ready to do something amazing in our midst here in Southside. And he wants us to wake up and get ready. Everyone say, wake up. Some people say, what? Wake up and get ready. God is about to do something amazing in our midst. I believe it and I want to be a part of it too. So I'm going to read the scripture to us, Ezekiel 47, 1 to 12. You can turn there if you want or else I will read it for us. And so this is the vision that God gave to Ezekiel. The man, it was an angel, brought me back to the entrance of the temple. I saw water coming out from under the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar. He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east. And the water was trickling from the south side. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits and then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand and led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river that I could not cross because the water had risen and it was deep enough to swim in. A river that no one could cross. He asked me, son of man, do you see this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. He said to me, this water flows toward the eastern region and goes down into the Araba, where it enters the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the salty water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live there, wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish, because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand along the shore of Engedi to Eng Eglam. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the Mediterranean Sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Let us pray. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us to receive everything out of your word today that you have for us. Open our hearts and open our spirits to hear from you as you speak through me, your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. So, Ezekiel's vision what's going on here? This picture is, it's a little crazy, huh? So we're going to look at it, the two main elements. And so remember, at the time of this vision, there was no temple. It had been destroyed and it lay in in ruins. And so the temple that he's seeing in this vision is a new temple. It's like new, improved temple. And there's a tiny stream of water that's coming out of the temple that turns into a huge raging river. And everywhere that that river flows brings life, uh, even though it goes and touches into the most desolate parts. And so let's take a closer look at these two main elements that are in the vision. I believe that God wants to say something powerful to us today through this vision. And so the first part is the temple. Now, the temple throughout the Bible represents the place that God dwells. Uh, It's the place that his presence resides and his glory is shown. And so there's a recurring theme throughout the whole of the Bible. uh, And that theme is that God has a passionate desire to dwell with us, with people. He, He desires to have relationship with us. And so we see that theme, that desire that God has to have relationship with people. We see it from the beginning right to the end of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. You know, originally when God created the the earth, it started off in the Garden of Eden when God dwelled with Adam and Eve. You know, the Bible says that they walked and talked with him every day. Face-to-face relationship. Imagine that that would be amazing, like literally walking and seeing God's face every day. That's what Adam and Eve had, and that's what we were created for. That's what God created us with the hopes of having face-to-face relationship with the people that he loves. And of course, as we know the story, Adam and Eve sinned, and then they were banished out of the garden, and they were no longer able to have that face-to-face relationship with him because sin was now separating them And so generations later, God continued to pursue that relationship with his people, and he created a way uh, to kind of restore that on some level. And he gave Moses strict instructions, uh, and the tabernacle was built. So this is an example, a rendering of the tabernacle in those days, and it's kind of like a, a huge tent where... Uh, people could come and worship and offer sacrifices, and God's presence was there. So this is during the time that they were in the wilderness, wandering, trying to get to that promised land. And so this was somewhat of a temporary, mobile temple. Fast forward to generations after that, now living in the promised land, King David designed a brand new permanent tabernacle, a temple temple. And his son, King Solomon, built it. And so this was now the place that people could come and worship and fellowship with God in his presence. But God was still pursuing a way for his people to dwell with him once again in his presence. There were limitations to this kind of fellowship. And so Jesus himself came to earth in human form. And he dwelt here on earth among us. That would have been amazing to get to meet him when he was here, right? His manifest, tangible, visible presence was here, dwelling with mankind once again. And not only that, but because of Jesus' sinless, perfect life, he was able to pay the price through his death on the cross, his resurrection. And now through faith in him, we are able to have relationship with him, because he tore the veil and took away all separation that had separated us from our holy God. And so now, today, when we put our trust and our hope in Christ and accept the gift that he gave us, he is able now to come and dwell with us inside us, in our hearts, in my heart, and in your heart. It's an amazing story. Like, I always think about it And it always just fills me with such amazement and gratefulness that I have a God who pursues me and loves me and wants to dwell with me intimately. And so the dwelling places of God's presence here on earth looked like this. Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the temple, Christ on earth, and now today in my heart. And I explained all of this to say, That the temple that we were talking about in Ezekiel's vision, I believe that it is us. 2 Corinthians 6 verse 16, Jesus said, For we are the temple, sorry, not Jesus, Paul wrote, For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will live with them and walk among them. And I will be their God and they will be my people. God says that over and over that he wants to be our God, and he wants us to be his people. Throughout the Bible, I I had the number of times that God had said that. That was his heart's desire, you know. When kids want something for Christmas, they keep talking about it, you know, keep hinting, keep reminding you, just in case you forgot, even though you didn't forget, because they just reminded you five seconds ago. But this is what God often talks about, is that he wants to dwell with us that I will be their God and they will be my people. And so this temple represents, as I said before, where God's presence dwells. And we put our faith in Christ. He lives in us and he dwells in us. So this temple that we are talking about is us, the church. The body of Christ. We are God's dwelling place. Everybody say that. We are God's dwelling place. thank you. I kind of get annoyed when preachers do that, but I just did it. But I think it's important for us to acknowledge and for us to remember that we are God's dwelling place and that the temple is you and me. And for a while in the Old Testament, it seemed that all had been lost because we kept stuffing it up through our sin. But God kept pursuing us and he made a way when there was no way so that we're able to now live again in daily living relationship with him the way that he originally created us to and so let's look at the water in this vision now as we read in Ezekiel's vision out of the temple there flowed that tiny stream that the angel had shown to Ezekiel and as Ezekiel followed the angel into the water And they went on and on, and the further they went, the deeper and deeper the water became. There was healing, there was movement and growth. Everything that the water touched, dead things came to life, and the life spread. The Bible says it even flowed into the Dead Sea. Has anyone in here been to the Dead Sea? No? It's something that I would love to do one day, but the Dead Sea... For now, we'll just have to experience it through Google and this picture. One day we'll all go, eh? Should we do a church trip? Yeah, that sounds awesome. Thomas said, Thomas seems pretty keen. He's pretty organized. How about organizing us a trip? (laughs) Sell heaps heaps and heaps of cupcakes. Back back to the road. Okay. So the Dead Sea is 430 meters below sea level, so it's the lowest place, it's the lowest surface on earth. It's so full of salt and minerals that nothing can live or grow there. So even though it's full of water, there's no grass, there's not even any weeds, nothing can live there, nothing can grow there, everything dies. The water is 33.7% salt. It's 10 times more salty than the ocean. And it's one of the most desolate places, one of the most lifeless places on planet Earth. But you know, the text says, the scripture that we read, it says, When the river entered into the Dead Sea, the salty water became fresh, and swarms of living creatures lived there. And everywhere the river flows, large numbers of fish, because where the water flows, it made the salt water fresh and everything would live. That's crazy. You know, when you add salt water, when you add fresh water into salt water, it doesn't make salt water fresh. It makes fresh water salty. Don't have to be a science, science, don't have to be a science person to understand that. Shh, Jim. So everything about this water is supernatural. It reminded me of John 4. We talked about this last year when Jesus was talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. That's pretty much the definition of the solutions that this world has to offer, in that whoever drinks of that water, you'll be thirsty again. It won't satisfy you, or you'll think you're satisfied, but it won't last. Everyone in this world is desperate and thirsting for some kind of water, but sometimes they don't recognize what it is that they are thirsting, and sometimes some of us, even Nati was sharing her story, and I'm sure all of us have gone searching for some kind of water, some kind of satisfaction, but looking in the wrong places. You know, have you ever been so hungry? I'm always hungry, but you know, there's been some days where I'm at work, and I'm like so hungry, and I can't eat, and so I'm like looking forward to some. oh man, maybe I'll go and get like, go grab the family, we'll go get a burger and some fries, and you know, go hide out after work, you know, not every day, just once every now and then, for those of you who are judging me, and there's, there's been more often times than I care to remember, but there have been times when we'll go, because I don't like sitting in places like that too much and so we'll go and get the food, drive through, go home and open it up and it's always, seems to be my burger that's been stuffed up or forgotten and sometimes the fries doesn't have the salt, you know, that's annoying and it's not satisfying, you know, and something that you were so hungry for and you went, you went through all of this effort to try and get that satisfaction and it just didn't satisfy, it's so frustrating and so disappointing. But, you know, that's the same thing. Like, people are always thirsting for love, attention, acceptance, approval, but they go and look for it in relationships, or with, or they try and find it in other things, or people. You know, us adults, us adults, because we're all grown-ups, you know, um, some, some of us are, we're better at acting tough, And hiding the fact that we're actually desperate. But I find that kids are a little bit more honest and more transparent. You know, I remember um, it's quite common to have kids at school come up to me and say, Miss, I'm so depressed. And then I'll say something like, just the other day I said, Oh, why? Why are you so depressed? What happened? Ah, my boyfriend. He'd rather... Play with his friends, then hang out with me. And this is me (laughs) trying to be as kind and compassionate as I can. And I say, how old are you? 12. Oh, how old is he? 12. Oh. Uh, Maybe I shouldn't share what I said next, but. You know, kids are much more honest. Some of them are very bold. And it made me think of a story of You guys, I always tend to talk about my son Joey, because he always has funny stories. This is Joey and one of his friends, for privacy's sake, let's call him Freddy. Now, you guys, anyone who knows Joey knows that Joey is... um, He's nerdy. Um, I don't know where he gets it from. From Ulu. Not me. Anyway... Joey, this is one of his good friends, Freddie, and they like to talk to each other in Irish accents, and they like to quote Shrek movies all day. You know, on Mufti days, you know, all the kids, you know, teenagers, they like to go to the mall and get something flash to wear on Mufti day. No, not Joey and all his friends. They go to the mall and buy props to bring to school on Mufti day. Last year, they dressed up as Russian border control (laughs) officials. They had hats and clipboards and everything. And so during morning tea, they went around asking kids to show them their passports. And um, you know, like me, I'm I'm a teacher, but I'm his mum, and I'm always thinking, oh, he's going to get eaten alive. But for some reason, the kids at school... Just love him, and they every kid that they went up to that I saw was like going, oh, bringing out their pretend passports. And they were actually disappointed when they were not permitted to enter Mother Russia. <laughs> because no one was permitted entry. I don't know what documentary he was watching to learn that. But anyway, one day, so that's just a picture of Joey and Freddie. One day, Joey and Freddie were sitting at their computer and these guys because because they're so harmless and so kind of lovable um all the girls feel really confident to talk to them you know it's kind of a girls you know it's a little bit intimidating talking to the the cool guys but you know guys like this they're tight and joey hates it like he comes home and he goes why do all the girls want to tell me their crush i don't want to (laughs) know and i said because, Joey, you're a safe place. Anyway, they were sitting at the computer one day, and um, another girl, let's call her Annie. She is actually uh, a blood relative of mine, and so she's Joey's cousin. She comes up to Joey and Freddie, sits down across from them and says, guys, I need to ask you a question. And then she looks at them dead in the face and says, do you find me attractive? And Joey's like, "Ah, go talk to someone else. We don't want to talk to you. But he says it in an Irish accent. And then Freddie says, no, because Freddie's very shy and hates confronting conversations. And so he's like, no, I don't find you attractive. I find you annoying. And then she says, what could I do to make you find me more attractive? Yeah. Yeah. He may or may not have um, told her to eat less or something. (laughs) But, you know, that girl, she just says what a lot of us are thinking, right? You know, we're all looking for, we're all thirsting for some kind of attention. We want to be accepted. We want to be approved. We want that approval from people to help us to feel validated or valuable but you know Jesus is telling the Samaritan woman you know you'll drink of that water but you'll be thirsty again if you drink of the water that I give you you know it's more than just water you know as we're reading in Ezekiel it's supernatural water it's salvation water it's eternal water it's more than just a relationship it's a relationship that saves It's a relationship that heals and restores everything that it touches, and it's water that is higher, deeper, and greater than the water that that Samaritan woman was trying to get from the well, and it's greater than anything that this world and anyone in it can offer us. That scripture again, if anyone thirsts, let them come to me and drink, Jesus answered. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the next part, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So not only does that water completely satisfy, but the water when we drink of that supernatural water, it becomes in us a spring of water that wells up and you know, what's the point of a, of a spring? A spring is to nourish others and to give life to others. And that brings me to my point that this river in Ezekiel's vision, the river that flows out of the temple, the river that flows out of us, God's, God's dwelling place, it's not about us. It's about other people. This life-giving water God's presence in my life, it's ultimately not about me and making my life better. His vision for my life, it's not about me, and it's not even about my family. God's vision for your life, it's it's not about you. It's about God giving life to the people around you. Life that lasts for the generations to come. You know, we always hear about Abraham and the covenant that God made with him. You know, we talk about in the Bible, it often refers to God as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, it didn't just stop at Abraham, but it was he is a God of generations. After Abraham was gone, he was still faithful to that bloodline. And you know, I imagine that Um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they probably could never conceive or even imagine that that covenant was going to last for thousands and thousands of years, even thousands and thousands of miles away, all the way over here to Southside, and apply to us today. It wasn't just about them. It wasn't just about the covenant that God made with them but it was about all of these generations after, and us, a bunch of Southsiders, it applies to us today. You know, I'd like to challenge us in here that some of us, we need to think and dream beyond our own selves, and our own families, and our own success. We need to think generationally, You know, I believe that this vision that God gave to Ezekiel for the people of Israel is very much uh, like the vision that God has for us, his people. You know, we are the temple, out of us flows the river of God's presence, the river of life. And whatever the river touches, wherever we go as a church, everything about the atmosphere should change the very chemistry of what was once dead should be transformed by the presence of God that flows out of us. Where there was before nothing but dry, desolate, lifeless desert, now there is life. The presence of God flows out of the temple and the people of God, that's us, wherever we go, we bring life, We bring healing because of what God is doing in us. You know, I loved what Sonia was sharing this morning about what God was able to do, how he set her free. And she didn't just stay free just to stay home and be free. But she's able to come and share that freedom, that victory with others and tell others about it so that we can be encouraged. And it heals and brings life to everything that it touches.